0: Hello, everyone. Welcome once again to Under the Macroscope, our weekly Skybound Capital podcast. And great to have back on the pod this week, Chief Strategist in the UK office, uh, Jabir Sadawala. Jabir, we've talked on a few podcasts in, in the past about uh, the effect of the pandemic and coming out of the pandemic. In the UK, you've had your so-called Freedom Day and, and things are, are slowly Uh, getting back to uh, a form of normal, but we've spoken before about the effect on UK property prices, demand uh, in the property sector. We've spoken commercial and residential. So so now that this milestone has been reached uh, in terms of people being allowed to do more, getting back into the workplace, let's start with uh, the outlook for house prices and what we've termed migration—you know, the ability of people uh, to perhaps live further out of the major centres—and what that is doing to house prices at a macro level.
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, good
0: morning, Matt. So, absolutely. Um, you know,
1: I spend um, a reasonable amount of time these days just looking at bubbles or potential bubbles, um, and there are bubbles. The real issue is, you know, what could make them burst. So an obvious one is real estate, Everywhere you look, you know, house prices just seem to be going up and up and up. Um, So in the context of the UK, which is no exception, I just thought, let's start with London as the epicenter, um, and what's happening with migration stats. Um, And I was actually more keen to understand the migration trends uh, between London and the rest of the UK. Because often we tend to think of it in terms of the international component but what about the domestic component um, and by good fortune I came across um, uh, some stats actually this was published uh, by Trust for London and uh, it's not totally up to date um, but still the trend is very clear and what this shows and it really surprised me in fact uh, or confirmed um, what many of us were thinking is that In terms of people leaving London, it's now, uh, and going to other parts of the UK, so purely domestic emigration, it's now running at about 350,000 people a year. I mean, from the chart, it's the highest it's ever been. Um, It was expedited uh, post Brexit, but pre-COVID. So I thought that was a telling factor too. Um, By contrast, Domestic immigration, i.e., from the UK into London, is running at just sort of you know it's around the two hundred and fifty thousand uh, per annum level. So you have roughly a hundred thousand net exodus. It's actually ninety thousand something uh, of people leaving London. And then just purely as a sort of FYI, I mean, on the international scene, people um, uh, international emigration. Uh, is running at about 100,000 a year. So, you know, I I didn't know really what to make of that. But uh, 100,000 people a year are leaving London to go overseas. Um, And by contrast, immigration, international immigration, is running at 200,000 a year. So you have a net gain there for London. So you can see what's going on here. You know, from an international perspective, there's obviously a net inflow. Um, And from a domestic point of view, there's a net outflow. Overall, it still leaves London up about 10,000 per annum at the moment. That's the lowest it's ever been, by the way. Okay, but when you look at that breakdown, that's really what matters. Anybody can come along, look at that and say, oh, 10,000, okay, not much difference. But it's who's doing what that really matters. And that's where it has a direct impact on properties. Mm. Just uh, some other sort of stats, you know, there are far more births than deaths in London each year, over 70,000 more births than deaths. So, you know, London is growing. It is definitely growing. So what I then did was just to sort of start by looking at the house price um, uh, situation. Now, averages, you know, we've talked about this, the floor of averages. It can be very misleading. The average price of a property in the UK is now about a quarter of a million pounds. But that really is is quite ridiculous as I'm about to explain in a second. Um, The year on year change, this is all to the end of May this year. The June ones will be done mid August uh, is 10%. 10% is pretty staggering. I mean, that's a chunky gain. Now, when you look at the breakdown, this is where it gets really interesting. Um, So for instance, In London, we are now recording the lowest annual house price increase. It's just over 5% per annum. Okay, that's, um, if we didn't have anything else, we might say, well, actually, that's not bad. That's very good, that seems, you know, nicely tamed. But you look at some of the other regions uh, in England alone, because that's by far the biggest share. Um, So you have, for instance, East Midlands growing at 11% per annum. You have East England growing at 7%. Some of the other big stars, the Northeast of the country, 12% per annum. Uh, The Northwest, 15% per annum. Um, And then you have other healthy ones close to 10% like the Southeast and the Southwest. Um, Yorkshire and Humber, uh, over 10% per annum. So I thought, okay, well, with all this going on with the sort of net exodus out of London every year to the tune of give or take 100,000 a year, um, are we building enough properties? So I then managed to find some data on construction rates per thousand, you know, across those same regions. And it's quite incredible. I mean, uh, London has uh, not alone, but London is one of the lowest construction rates in the country. It's about, take it as five and a half, for every thousand in terms of new properties. The higher ones are not massive, I mean, but they do go up to about six and a half, okay, across the other regions. So what you have here in terms of house prices is a situation where housing stock is definitely low, without doubt. We are building, but not enough. So to give you an idea, private uh, net new construction every year is running at just shy of a quarter of a million new Dwellings. Out of that, however, the private portion, which is the lion's share, is 170,000. The rest are things like social and affordable housing, which we badly need, um, but 170,000 is the private side. So you can see it's getting tight because you've got over 100,000 leaving London, spreading their wings. You've got 170,000 new property constructions every year. Okay, then you have the existing home sales. Um, it's no wonder the house prices are going up. But I, I think it's not just a case of um, affordability. I think people are looking at this, you know, and looking. Look at the average house price. Coming back to that original figure I mentioned, quarter of a million. Look how misleading it is. Mm-hmm. In London, the average house price is half a million. So it's double that, okay? And even that's misleading, because as you know, we've got terraced houses, semis, and uh, you know, uh, detached, and so on. Um, the next highest on the list, as far as I can see, is the southeast of England. So it'll be Kent and areas like that, at, at £350,000. So think about this. If you own a property in London, and we'll go with the averages, it's worth half a million. No doubt you've got a mortgage on that. You sell it off, you free up capital, and now you can move to, let's say, you know, the Southeast, and you're spending less. There is a lifestyle issue which has definitely been accelerated by COVID. Mortgage rates, for what it's worth, you can take on a fixed mortgage rate um, between just under 1% per annum to 1.34% per annum. That's fixed for anywhere between two and three years. And then after that it reverts to a variable rate of about three and a half percent or so okay so there is a jump but for the first two three years you've got some latitude
0: it's interesting though i love that term the floor of averages because you when you see double digit increases on average in certain parts of the country as you've described that speaks to very high demand but it also needs to take cognizance of the fact that it's growth off a much lower base than London. So 5%, which you've talked about in London, off an average of half a million pounds uh, is is still quite a handsome increase. So all those factors have to be taken into account. But Jabeer, I have to believe that given these increases in certain pockets, there has to be, intuition tells you there has to be, some sort of strong correlation if i can call it that with employment levels to to feed this demand uh, so so how's that looking as, as you come out of of covert restrictions workloads and, and employment levels in general
1: yeah so i was actually quite surprised by this so um a very reputable body over here the RICS, uh which I think stands for the royal institute of chartered surveillance they do a They do a a fairly frequent publication. And they look at exactly this topic about what's happening in the workplace. Um, And they summarize in just a few charts based on surveys and responses that they've received. Um, So it's sentiment and it's also actual. And the latest ones, in fact surprised me so for instance one of the questions they asked uh, was around changes in headcount over the past 3 months so this is this is rear uh, rear view looking and there is i mean i've got the graph right here and there is a marked increase in terms of so that's an actual data um there is a, a a marked and meaningful increase to february 21 so this is a quarterly report um and that's even before freedom day um, and it clearly shows that overall, more people are now, you know, uh, going back to the to the office. So then a couple of others which uh, I found even more interesting. So property acquisition plans over the next twelve months, and you can see that if you compare it to February twenty, so pre-pandemic uh, era, um, it's it was all negative and it still is negative, but it's heavily reducing now. So now the latest one to February of this year shows that it's still a negative of about 2% from a negative of as low as nearly, well, it looks like 27%. So attitudes I think are changing there. A couple of other uh, striking ones. So there was one uh, which was around the percentage of workers expected to return and that this is going to be key. Um, And what surprised me here is that those who think that less than 60% will return has actually dropped quite dramatically. Um, And pretty much all the other measures. So those who think it'll be 100%, that's the smallest component, but that's gone up, Um, which incidentally might go to one of my previous weeklies where I talked about efficiency in the workplace, you know, and uh, do you really get the full benefits? Um, And then 90%, 80%, the 80% portion has gone up dramatically. So in other words, that's saying that we think only about 20% will work remotely uh, or part-time. Yeah. Um, and then just one other, you know, what are the plans um, uh, regarding um, the setup over physical distancing, social distancing? And very confidently on a scale of one to eight, uh, sorry, one to six, where six is completely prepared. That is the highest portion of the lot. They are fully prepared basically uh and ready for you know for any eventuality that comes their way Mm. so that's pretty recent i look forward to the next quarterly one and to see what happens there especially with vaccination rates now so compelling here um i think you know i i think for the bears out there they shouldn't write this off just yet i think think there's some significant stuff going
0: on another factor with just in closing which uh perhaps is important to to talk about in this context as well is the proposed and approved high-speed rail links uh, which are are going to be enormously costly as we know uh, and are focused on reducing commuter time what what's your feeling given the benefit of hindsight now obviously with with what's perceived as a move out of London by domestic dwellers. Um, What's your view on on that and how it's going to play out and its effectiveness?
1: Um, I I think this is really significant because um, so, well, let's take high-speed rail um, because that is, you know, it's been much talked about. It's it's received the full blessing and go ahead. And it is happening. It's one of Boris's favorite little policies. What does that do? It's basically like the letter Y. So from the base of the Y to the intersection point, that's essentially, that's effectively London to Birmingham. Now, currently that journey, which I've done several times, and it's actually a very pleasant journey. It's a lovely journey. It takes, um, if I remember correctly, it's about an hour and 20, hour and 25 minutes. What high-speed rail will do is essentially bring it down to about 55 minutes. So one of the reasons that people have been so vociferous about this is that really you want to spend tens of billions of pounds on reducing a journey by, you know, 30 odd minutes, if that. Um, And I was actually part of that camp originally. But then I thought to myself, well, hold on, that means you can do Birmingham to London in one hour, less than an hour. Um, It's a journey, I honestly, I don't know the distance, but it's, it's quite a big distance it takes me the same time on the underground to do where I live in northwest London to central London and that's a mere 11 miles and it takes the same time okay so suddenly now Birmingham our second biggest city becomes highly accessible you can do day trips you can do comfortably I mean you can already but this changes things at the margin what it also does is along the way, people will think, well, actually, I, I can actually start to live outside of London. Um, I can pick a location maybe halfway, and I've got Birmingham and London. Mm-hmm. And the plan is that when that letter Y is completed, it will branch across to, I think it's Liverpool, if I'm not mistaken, on the northwest side, and then uh, Newcastle uh, on the northeast side. And that will be the, the vein, the big Vein or artery however you look at it Um, another example another popular spot is um, is southwest England which you know well you and I have been to many many times so that's a great journey London Paddington to let's say Bath or Bristol um, takes about an hour and 20 Um, there are no plans as as far as I'm aware but that is a very comfortable journey and it's frankly not that long What we need here and what I think the government is doing, and it will take a long time and it will certainly cost a lot of money, is this development in high-speed rail. We really need that because that has actually been, I think, and it's one of the most under-reported facts. I think that has actually been the big driver behind uh, property prices. So you were saying earlier that, you know, around clusters developing, um, the growth in certain towns Uh, are not surprising because you have to look at the rail link. Um, And if we can continue to build more of these and make it affordable, that actually I think is a bigger challenge than anything else. Um, It's a staggering cost. You know, you can do an off-peak from London to Bath for about 80 quid. You go peak time and that's pushing 200 pounds. It's crazy. And even 80 pounds is not cheap. Um, So you need to make it affordable. That gives people the incentive to do it that will
0: transform the landscape of the property market. Well, fascinating as always. I guess the inference that can be drawn uh, is that Jabir might be house hunting somewhere around Birmingham in the not too distant future. So we'll we'll watch that space. Uh, Great to catch up as always, Jabir. Thank you for your insights. Don't forget you can uh, download Uh, the podcast under the macroscope at apple spotify and the google podcast platform for android and this and all the other podcasts available at skybound capitals website www.skyboundcapital.com until next time on under the macroscope have a great week